Well, good morning. Welcome to Refuge. How are you doing this morning? Doing, doing well? Doing good? Yeah? All right. Good. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about humility. Anybody want to say? <laughs> oh, man, the subject, the topic of humility is um, it, it, there's always conviction in that because we, we all have um, you know, sometimes we say, oh, we have a tinge of humility. No, we, we're all immersed in, in uh, actually uh, uh, pride. It's just, uh, it's just the way we're, you know, our fallen nature goes in that direction. It's not that, that we have to be reminded that uh, we are uh, actually supposed to be humble before the Lord, first and foremost, right? And then exercise that humility before each other, <clears throat> If that were our natural inclination, we wouldn't have to be reminded, right? And so we're going to be tackling that topic, and that is Godly Humility, which is the title of this morning's message. So let's start out opening up our, our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we, we are continuing our study in this uh, beautiful letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians. And so he writes to us as God's inspired, God-breathed word and uh, may it do its effective work in our lives this morning. So let's read the second uh, chapter of Philippians. And we're going to read through the first 11 verses. So it is written, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only uh, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to understand what is before us. Lord, that we would not dismiss it or uh, it to be short-lived in our memories, but that it would be deeply rooted in our hearts that you would keep these words and this, uh, this lesson before us today and tomorrow and the following day that we would live this out to your glory. Lord, godly humility is what's required of us. Teach us how to apply it to our lives, to your glory and to the blessing of others around us to be a, a source of encouragement also in an example of what it should look like here on earth. For it is that standard that should guide us. It's your word 
that should be our foundation upon which we stand and we live our lives. And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands. Lord, we ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Philippians 1.27, the Apostle Paul said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There is a unity or oneness of mind, the foundation of one's moral standards upon which the body of Christ must be founded and gathered together in order to be effective before the enemy. To effectively stand before the enemy against any external conflicts. And that's what we learned last week. Uh, Any opponents that are clearly against the gospel and you for being an ambassador of Christ. So not only are those external conflicts and confrontations against the Lord and against the gospel, but as His children, they're actually against us as well. And they could be very clearly an affront against us personally. There are attacks from without, but the attacks that are most effective are the attacks that happen not from without, but from within. You know, sometimes we we can get careless, you know, there's, there's the internal conflict amongst each other that if left unattended to, that we are unaware of, and we uh, look the other way in, that it could really take us out. But really, there's also another conflict that happens within our own lives, personally. You know, we, we, see, um, we see a punch as it's telegraphed, as it's coming toward us. We can... We can uh, you know, guard and we can block those punches, right? But what about within? You know, our own thoughts. Do we guard our thoughts? How about the way in which our heart leads us? Do we guard against it? We need to. Because the Word tells us that our thoughts can run away with us and, and our, our hearts are wicked. The world tells us that our heart, oh, follow your heart. Be happy and follow your heart. Be careful. Careful, because the Bible tells us, which is God's word, which is truth, right? Amen? Tells us that our hearts are wicked and deceitful. Who could know them, right? So really, it's those internal conflicts. Those internal attacks that we need to guard against, we need to be aware of. They can be Trojan horses that the enemy brings within the ranks of God's people to wreak havoc, to destroy and dismantle the fellowship of the brethren and the work of the ministry. That's exactly what the enemy intends to do. As a Trojan horse enters into the fellowship of the brethren and dismantles it and destroys it from within. That's the intent of the enemy. And if he can do that, then we are a testimony to the world. But we serve the wrong testimony. We serve the Lord in the wrong way. In fact, we're not serving Him at all when we do that. It is the absence of what we are going to learn about this morning that will result in a destruction of God's people from within the fellowship of the believers. Godly humility and love should be the hallmark of the Christian life. Since Jesus demonstrated it uh, in His amazing and humble love as he took the form of a man and died on the cross in your place and mine. 
That was the perfect example right there. I mean, we can look to Jesus and see this amazing love, this perfect humility. Cling to that. Fix your eyes on Him and then follow Him. And see if anything in our lives reflects somehow, some way, anything close to that. That should serve us for the rest of our lives uh, to, to grow and to learn and to apply it to His honor and glory. Jesus taught and sacrificed and exemplified what it looked like to be humble and of one mind with the Father. Always looking and desiring to fulfill His will. And not allowing the physical and emotional pain of the present circumstances to dictate His actions. Remember, you know, it, he, he had experienced everything that you and I have experienced. Loss. Uh, a broken heart, and seeing death before him. He went to the garden on this one, in this one moment and was asking the Father, he asked him three times, if this, if this cup can pass, please allow it to pass. Nonetheless, may your will be done, not mine. Three times, right? So he can sympathize with you, he can sympathize with all of us in the things that we are faced with today. And yet, he always desired to be of one mind with the Father. And so as we desire to be of one mind with the Father, we will be of one mind. That's true north. And so we are to gather ourselves uh, under the governing authority of the Word of God and be united as one. He was always looking to fulfill the Father's will. It would take humble submission in order to fulfill the, the will of the Father. And so it would also take a humble submission to the Lord in order to fulfill for us and in ourselves today the will of the Lord. It's a humble submission. It's a surrendered life. There are three things to know in order to be effective against conflict within the body of Christ. Number one, we are to be, as we have just read, be of one mind. Secondly, we are to regard others with more significance. Oh, that in and of itself will guard, would guard against so much conflict and destruction within the body. <laughs> that by itself. But thirdly, looking to the perfect example of humility in Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Him. Making sure that we don't deviate from that. The moment we start looking at each other for that is the moment we, uh, we get into trouble. So let's start out with being of one mind. Verses 1 and 2, let's go back to verse 1, which says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any co comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. It's one thing... To say that you are of one mind, and it's quite another to actually be of one mind. You know, we, we, can, we can say it all we want. We're, we're of one mind. We're united. We're this and that. But it's quite another to actually follow through with it and live it out. That is very difficult. That is very difficult. Because it demands a humble submission to the governing authority of the Word of God in marriage. 
In marriage, I have learned that if we are on the same page, then we could get through anything. Now, I'm not talking about me being on Bettina's page or her being on my page. It has nothing to do with that. If we are on the same page here, then whatever it is that we are confronted with in our lives, we can be humbled <laughs> by this. Sometimes, if we don't respond to the word, we can be humiliated by the Lord, right? It's, it's a discipline that leads to this, uh, or through a consecrated work in the Lord of sanctification and So he's refining and guiding us and directing us. So if we are both submitted to the word of God, then as he corrects us, we need to line up with him. And therefore, we are of one mind. One mind. And we can get through anything. Because with him, all things are possible. Right? Being of one mind in Christ starts... By knowing Christ. Now, we, we can know about Christ. We can even assume we know Christ. But that's not knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is knowing the Word. That's like saying we know someone and never spending time with them. How can we know them? Right? Unless we actually spend time with them. We won't know them. So being of one mind in Christ starts by and with knowing Christ. Paul is emphasizing what a Christian should possess with rhetorical questions and these statements, right? The answers should be obvious. And I pray that they are indeed obvious and applicable to us here this morning. And if not, that you'll come to understand why it is perhaps we are not all on the same page, not having the same mind. And therefore, as individuals, we can humbly repent or change according to the knowledge that we have come to possess and understand. Hopefully being gained this morning through the Word of God. Aligning ourselves with the mind of Christ in order to not allow the enemy to use us to form attacks on each other from within the fellowship of the believers. That's how we can guard against it. And he says, these are these rhetorical questions. The rhetorical questions, you know, they are said to emphasize a truth, right? This rock, is it not hard? Yeah, of course, right? That seat, is it not brown? It's an obvious question, right? There's an obvious answer to that question. And so he starts asking these questions. If there's any encouragement in Christ. In other words, he's saying all of these things should be commonly known by all believers. That's what he's saying. He's, he's asking these questions to, to bring back to the surface those really foundational, very uh, elementary principles of our faith. If there is any, number one, encouragement in Christ... Let's start out with that. It says in Luke 2.25, there was a man named Simeon who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, the consolation of Israel was and is the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the encouragement or consolation, a relief from suffering, from loss, and from disappointment. 
And so again, this should be basic, foundational, elementary truths that all believers would come to know personally. In Christ, we have come to know perfect encouragement, perfect consolation from suffering, loss, disappointment, because He is our deliverer from condemnation and loss due to sin. That's why we can rejoice, no matter what we're faced with, knowing that, okay, you know, this is before me, but greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world. I, with Christ, can get through this. No problem, because what lies before me is a hope much greater than the circumstances I find myself in. It's all there. This is temporary. He's eternal. And I am His eternally. He is truly our consolation. He is truly our encouragement. A relief from suffering, loss, and disappointment. In Christ, we have come to know perfect encouragement, perfect consolation from suffering, loss, and disappointment because He is our deliverer from condemnation and loss due to sin. Jesus is our restorer. 2 Corinthians 5.17, I thought was very fitting. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You're an entirely new creation. Oh, praise God for that. You know, we, we can't, you know, let's reform the old man. Let's rehabilitate the old man. Ain't going to happen. It's, just, it's not. I, I am glad that I'm just not an improved old me. Because then that'd be a, an effort of the flesh. An effort of the intellect, the mind, you know, all of that. And it's not. And that's what people don't understand outside who have not experienced a complete transformation. This metamorphosis that happens the moment that we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with our own efforts. Why? Because, in other words, Jesus wouldn't have said on the cross, it is finished. To tell us, die. It's been paid for in full. The work has. Therefore, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There would have been no need for that. Because if we could improve ourselves, then who else could have improved themselves better than the Israelites that had the law before them? The law never proved anything except for that we were sinful. It pointed us to the need of a Savior who came in the form of a man and died on the cross for you and I. Oh, what a Savior. Because with that, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There is no better encouragement than the consolation we come to know in Christ Jesus. And that should be one of those things we clearly know in him and reflect it in our own lives. Secondly, if there is any comfort from love, not just any comfort, but a comfort from love. Every Christian should know the comfort that comes from Jesus' love for us. Oh, and God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still His enemies, opponents, while, while we were still yelling, crucify Him. He died for them too. He died for us. On the cross, he thought of each and every one of us. And every Christian should know the comfort that comes from Jesus' love for us. 
We experience comfort when others show us love, but there is nothing that compares to the comfort we know that comes from the love of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.3 tells us that He is the God of all comfort. As He comforts us, we comfort others with the same comfort, with that comfort. I, time and time again, I'll go into patients' rooms in, at the hospital, and the only thing I can share with them is the love of Christ. That's it, because nothing else compares. I can tell them about what I've experienced in Christ. That He has comforted me. That He has been there. He's faithful. He he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. As for us, each other, we will. We're, We're people. We're fallen people. But we should point to Him. He's he's comforted me. He can comfort you too. He's been my strength. He can be your strength too. He can remind you of that hope just as He has with me. He can be your all in all. He desires to be that. The comfort that Jesus provides is one of coming alongside of undergirding us and strengthening us in times of trouble so that we would know a personal courage and we express bravery in Jesus' comfort. That's why, you know, the moment that we are directed toward Him, we take that deep breath and know, you're right, God is with me. And then it's reflected in our lives. Others can look to that and they ask the question, how is it that you can be at peace in such difficult circumstances? Oh, it's that peace of God which surpasses all understanding. It's the knowledge that He is with me. That He is my strength. He's the lifter of my head. He, uh, He anoints me. Oh, my, my cup can overflow even in circumstances that are so difficult for the world to to know and to live through. Thirdly, the Apostle Paul says, if there is any participation in the Spirit. It's interesting that everyone desires to be uh, shared with, but what we see here is that it requires a participation, an exercise of the will in order to know fellowship and a koinonia with the Spirit. That is, to know a, a guidance, you have to follow. To possess understanding, you must confess that you don't understand. So, partic- participation in the Spirit. It's not, it's not something that um, is a spectator sport. You know, Christianity is never that. When we participate with the Spirit, we're participating in, in the guidance we're sharing in, um, uh, in the work of the Spirit that He desires to do in the life of the believer and within the church itself. And so the Apostle Paul is again speaking of this basic knowledge that every believer should have. Hey, listen, if there's any participation in the Spirit, you personally, okay, but also you sharing that with other people around you, being that example to others. That should be just basic, a basic understanding. As you follow, so you will lead. 
and so you will encourage others. And he also asked this last question, if there is any affection and sympathy, a gentle fondness or liking of someone else. Uh, oh, sometimes we fall so short of that. It just, I mean, we can, we can go to that. I'm talking about a genuine, genuine, gentle fondness or liking of someone else. I, you know, I love, I love you, Ray, but I have no gentle fondness of you. <laughs> and I'm joking. Ray knows that. No, it's like, how can we do that? How can we read the word and not be broken by it? Why? Because we're, we're dishonoring the Lord. We're, we're misrepresenting Him. When we're not given to having that kind of love toward one another. Again, we're, we're talking about these rhetorical questions. The Apostle Paul is saying, this should be common knowledge among you. I, I cannot emphasize this enough. This should be elementary, basic. Should have been learned in kindergarten. Right? It's like when you learn to write. The, that kind of a thing. Like this is an A. This is a B. What follows B? C. And then there's D, right? It's elementary. It's basic, the foundations. And unfortunately, within the church, and we see it here, or else it would have, had, it would have never been addressed. The Apostle Paul is saying, we ought to have this, this affection and sympathy for each other, a gentle fondness or liking of someone else amongst each other. A gentle feeling of sorrow for someone else's circumstances. These are the things that should be common to every Christian. And yet, if they are not, then we are to realize them personally. And acknowledge them because it is with these that we demonstrate a life lived within the church that enjoys the same standards. See, that's the unity. I know we talk about unity within the church. There's... uh, just a false unity right now that it, that is being spoken about throughout. No, our unity should be founded on the standards of the Word of God, sound doctrine. That's the unity we should enjoy as, as a church right here. Not false unity. Not in some kind of, you know, I don't know, mystic unity, but in true unity of the Word of God. It should be demonstrated within the life of the church, enjoying the same standards, and therefore we can grow and hold each other accountable with it and serve to encourage with that standard. Otherwise, we won't be unified. It's like if I hold to a different standard than you do, we are not of the same mind. I, just, I gave the example of my wife and I earlier. If we hold to different standards, then we are not of one mind. We can't hold each other accountable. She can't tell me... Um, you were angry and you did sin. Oh, well, that's not the standard I hold to. Because the manner in which I expressed my anger was well within the standard that I hold. Right? Who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? Right? And, and we say that a lot. Why? Because we're holding to a different standard. It shouldn't be. So as we're united, we're holding to the same standard, the Word of God, sound doctrine, and therefore, we can be held accountable. And it should be like that. 
Why? Because we are our brother's keepers. That's why. And we can't be our brother's keepers if we hold to different standards. Is that clear? (laughs) Do we understand that? All right. In fact, the same mind means we enjoy a mutual understanding of the same love in Christ. And we can therefore truly know agreement and harmony which provides a pleasant effect that blesses the Lord and benefits the fellowship of the saints to God's glory. If the brethren is not of the same mind, then we can live and move, or is of the same mind, I'm sorry, we can live and move, encourage and comfort, and enjoy being led and guided by the Spirit in the same direction. Moving in the same direction, not in different directions, but in the same direction. So, number one, be of one mind. Secondly, regard others with more significance. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, we are naturally inclined to look after our own interests. Uh, Even to prop ourselves up. Even, quite honestly, at the expense of others. If not, just listen to sometimes the conversations behind the scenes. How it is that the person you thought was on your side is talking trash about you to prop themselves up. That happens all the time. You know, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we hear things like that, we should check them. <laughs> hey, listen, have you told that person that? Have you talked to them about it? If not, grab them by the hand and take them over to that person and go, hey, this person wants to talk to you about something. <laughs> no, confront them about it. Just ask them. I know of someone that did, a pastor, Romaine. He's home with the Lord. But I, I heard a story about how it was that he, he was... He was, he was walking on the grounds, the church grounds, and um, this, this person was, was talking about Pastor Chuck, Pastor Chuck Smith. And um, he was like, just listening, listening, listening. As they were walking, uh, he didn't realize that as Romaine opened up the door, he didn't know what door he was opening. But he opened the door, and, and, he, and he pushed the gentleman right in. And he goes, Pastor Chuck, this gentleman wants to talk to you about something. And he closed the door behind him. <laughs> We shouldn't do things like that, especially within the body. We should, we should hold each other accountable. We shouldn't be participating in it. And if we're lending an ear to it, we're participating. So we shouldn't be. We should send them to the other person. In order to be of one mind, having the mutual benefit of others before us, we must regard others with more significance than ourselves. Do you regard others with more significance than yourselves? Because this requires that we deny ourselves. To follow Jesus, he said that we must deny the flesh, pick up our cross and follow him. Right? But we won't even do this if we live with selfish ambition and conceit. If we can't do this with others, we won't do it with him. Because ultimately, as we obediently do unto others, we are doing unto him. It's like, that's a, that's a great check, right? A great way of seeing if we are truly, oh, we'll do it unto you, Lord but not unto Him. No. We need to do it unto others. And as we do it unto others, 
we're ultimately glorifying the Lord. In order to look to the interests of others, we must first make sure there is no selfish ambition harbored within our own hearts. Ambition is a strong desire to do or to achieve something. So not all ambition is selfish ambition. We know that. That's a basic understanding, right? And what Paul is referring to here is a strong desire to do or achieve something with an absence of love and thought for others. There's no love. There's no thought for others. It's only for your own advancement, your own promotion, regardless of how it affects others around us, uh, around you, then that might be ambition and conceit. It's an I don't care, this is my life, and I will live it the way I please type of an attitude. The moment we start saying that is the moment we ought to drop to our knees and ask God for forgiveness and ask Him to reveal these wicked intentions in our own hearts and submit them to Him. Because he tells us we are, we are to regard others more, more than ourselves. Which leads to the second part of this. Regards to conceit. We ought to do away with conceit. Is, conceit is thinking too highly of oneself. Being preoccupied with oneself. Excessive self-interest. Sounds familiar. I read that somewhere in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Which says, but understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. The word tells us that it, it's so serious that we are even go to, uh, to go to the lengths of avoiding such people, right? But it speaks of the last days. The last days demonstrates a slide into godlessness that reveals much self-ambition and much conceit. We see it today. It's the era of, of moi, self. It's all about me. We see it in social media. I mean, it's re- I think it's just reflected in social media. But it's a, it's a reflection of, of the hearts of the people. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that this ought not be a part of the fellowship of the brethren. But rather we ought to, in humility, count others more significant than ourselves. Looking after the interest or benefit of others. As it's natural for us to look after our own interests... He's not saying that's bad. He's just saying, hey, listen, look after the interests of other people just as you would naturally be inclined to watch after your own interests. Make sure you do that. Don't miss that. Humility is not not something the world values. Oh, lowly, humility, humble yourself. That's not something the world values. But it is something that God values. You know, so often we want to take vengeance. Oh, he did this, she did that. Oh, just wait. It may take a while. But when I have the opportunity, <laughs> you think what you did was bad. You think what you did hurt me? Just wait. And some people will wait 
and they take advantage of opportunities. Why? Because that's what they have in their mind, that's what they have in their hearts. And they take full advantage of that moment. But know this, that God values humility. We had this discussion in our Bible study on Monday. How it is, how it is that, you know, well, we shouldn't allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. Well, yeah, we should. Yeah, we should. Go ahead. You want to do that, that's fine. You know, you know why? Because my strength is in the Lord. That's fine. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul wouldn't have addressed the whole subject of suing one another. You know, it's, it's to our shame that there were, there were suits that were being brought up against one another within the church. You know, brought before uh, the Gentiles, the Gentile court. Well, why do you guys do this? Do we not have sufficient knowledge and understanding of the Word of God to where we can judge these things ourselves and come up with something that would glorify the Lord? This is to your shame, church, is what he was saying. But when a brother wrongs another brother and he insists on that, wouldn't you rather take the shame and walk away in humility than take it before the world and shame the Lord? So again, I ask the question, you know, is it okay if, if we're taken advantage of before the Lord? Yes. Yeah. The world does not value that. The world says, oh man, you need to get what's coming to you. You, you, need, to, you need to grab it. You know, it's not gonna, you're not going to be given that which you should have, right? Righteously and, uh, and uh, you know, it won't be given to you. You have to take it. And the Lord says, nah, you know, I am your vengeance. Don't, don't worry about that. In fact, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Man does not exalt us. I could care less if the world exalts me. I hope it doesn't. I want to be exalted with, with my Lord in Christ. That's who I want to be exalted with. This is the godly humility that we are to express as Christians who are walking with the Lord, revealing that we are truly of one mind. This is being of one mind. So be of one mind. Secondly, regard others with more significance and look to the perfect example of humility. Verses 5 through 11 as we close. Which says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So fixing our eyes on him, we can quickly move through verse 5 and get to verses 6 through 11 and do this because... Uh, we become fixated on Jesus and what he did. But listen, I want to take a moment and just emphasize verse 5, which comes before 6 through 11. Because this mind is the mind that is to be found among us as his children. And this is why I believe it's important to hold this firmly 
before the description of Christ's humility and allow His example to help us apply what we have just read and hopefully understood or come to understand. Because the point that is being made here by Paul cannot be lost in what Christ did. It's actually just firmly grounded in His perfect example. We cannot forget our command to exercise humility and to be of one mind. But that the example served to undergird the command to exercise humility among us in a like manner as Christ demonstrated. Verse 5 once more says, Have this mind, have this mind, possess this mind, exercise this mind among yourselves, which is yours. In Christ Jesus. Here's the example. This is what we are to follow. Although Jesus was fully God, he did not cling to the prerogatives and the privileges of deity. That's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, think about it. He humbled himself. Follow that. There are certain prerogatives and privileges we know personally, but ought not to cling to or even bring up for the sake and benefit of others. There are certain things, perhaps, that you have full knowledge of, that you um, have experienced. There are certain things that will basically prop you up in the face of others. Some things are left unsaid. Um, Don't need to talk about that. You, you don't have to push it. You, you don't have to. It's just, it's not useful. For us, in order to be humble before others, toward others, and glorify the Lord, we don't have to cling on to those things, or, or cling to those things, but show restraint and humility in this way. It, it's a sign, actually, of spiritual maturity. Um, the world will brag. Oh, I know you've done this, but listen, I've done this and this and this and this and, um, you know, and you can go through the list and that's bragging, right? For us, deny those things. You don't have to bring them all up. Just serve and bless the person that's before you with all humility. He emptied himself. It means that Jesus did not regard a personal high reputation. He was lowly and meek and he was... Humble. He wasn't flashy and arrogant, and he came as a suffering servant. Uh, I mean, he could say um, and do and just demand and command, and yet he didn't. He took the form of a servant. That's truly amazing. He had come to serve the world by becoming the sacrifice for our sins that would afford us reconciliation and restoration unto the Father. And he says for us, That we are to become servants of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, it says, And they came to uh, Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Our Lord, He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart, right? Oh, what, what timing, right? They were silent. Are you going to tell them, John? No. Are you, Peter? No. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. 
He knew already. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, in other words, desire to be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Here's our example. Uh, That's one thing that I think we can all improve in. Serving more. Do you serve enough? I can serve more. Do you consider others with more value than yourself? Hmm. I do, but I can perhaps do that even more. Be a servant of all. Because the greatest in God's eyes is the one who serves all. In the world's eyes, again, the greatest is the one who is served by all. Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to the Father all the way to the cross and died for you and I. Talk about serving all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's him. He served, he served all mankind by sacrificing himself on the cross. In his humility and obedience to the Father, he has been exalted and above his name there is no other. He never lost his place before the Father and his obedience served to glorify the Father. If, if, we're, um, if we're wondering if we're going to lose our place before the Father, we, we never will. In Christ, we never will. Because we're in the Son. We ought to instead simply be living with Christ before us, an example of humility, in obedience to the Lord, and serve to glorify the Father in and through our lives. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, let me close with this. Like I said, you know, as far as going through, and I mean, we can break down those verses But what I wanted to bring forth is the strong point that we are to keep our eyes fixed on he who is perfectly humble. And we are to live that out in our own lives. That was the point that Paul was making. Again, he's he's bringing across these very basic foundational elements that should be possessed by every Christian. Remember, it's just the ABCs of our faith. So number one, be, be of one mind. Number two, regard others with more significance. And number three, look to the perfect example of humility in Jesus Christ. In order to know and live godly, godly humility, you must have the same standard of love with an understanding of God's definition of, of unity. We can't claim God's leading when it's clearly selfish ambition. We just can't, right? Don't be fooled and led by selfish ambition and mimic it and make quote-unquote, God told me to do this type of statements when he hasn't. That's another thing that breaks my heart. I mean, how can, how can you respond to that? Well, God told me to do this. Well, it's in clear opposition to what he desires. Just call it what it is, right? These, these are my own thoughts. This is what I desire to do. Therefore, I did it. Remember that these types of Challenges are good. Because I hear it too often within the church. God told me to do this. When it just doesn't line up with the word. Please don't do that. We shouldn't do that. 
That is truly selfish ambition. It's thinking very highly of ourselves when it just doesn't line up. If your actions promote you or benefit you at the expense of others, then genuinely seek God and make sure you're denying the fleshly desires when you're considering Him and consider Him. Jesus denied Himself and considered the will of the Father and the benefit of the world until the very end, until it was finished. Remember, if you have breath in your lungs and you have a heartbeat in your chest, you're not finished. We're not finished. We're not done. We're we're almost there, but we're not there. So how about you? Will you demonstrate this type of godly humility and bless the Lord? Remember, in Christ we have been resurrected to new life, forgiven, and will one day know His glory for all eternity. Therefore, live this life to His glory and for the benefit of others, that they may also come to know eternal life in the Son and the life that glorifies Him. The basics of our faith are before us. Humility we ought to reflect toward others, to the Father's glory and to the benefit of others. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for this time in your word. Thank you for instructing us, Lord, for hopefully correcting us and guiding us according to your word. And I ask, Lord, I know oftentimes it, uh, it's said, Lord, we ought not ask for humility, for you will humiliate us. Patience, and you will test it. But yet, Lord, we do ask for your patience patience, and and, uh, as we have studied here, your humility. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves that we would fall in line with your word to honor and glorify you. That we would reflect to others what it truly means to demonstrate a love for you. And as we love each other, we can demonstrate that we belong to you. And so, Father, bless your people. Fill us with your spirit. Thank you for this time of instruction and encouragement. And I pray, Lord, that as we submit to you, that it's a time of worship as well. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.